We are on Yevamos Daf Gimel Medalev 3A2 in the Archul Gemara. The Gemara, in the last recording, the Gemara went through the list of the Mishnah, of the 15 different cases which is which are exempt from Yibum and from Chalitza because the sister-in-law is also related to you in some other way. And it went through why the list was the way it was, the way it's listed. The Gemara is going to continue on and discuss some of the uh, ask questions as to, with regards to the language, the wording of the Mishnah. But before we get into it, these questions are going to open up a lot of interesting conceptual discussions related to the Mishnah. So we're going to give a brief introduction and then we're going to read the Gemara. The main focus of the next couple of lines are is is about the Tsaras Erva, the case of the Tsaras Erva, which is the case in the Mishnah which said that if your brother dies without any children and is married to somebody that you're related to, let's say your own daughter, but he also has two wives. He has, he's married to your daughter, but he's also married to just uh, another another woman. So the law is that there's an exemption from Yibam and Chalitza for both of them, for the one that you're related to, your daughter, and also for the what we call the co-wife, the tsara, which is referred to as the co-wife, is also exempt. Now the assumption of the Gemara, and this is what basically is a given, is that the co-wife, it's not just that the co-wife that there's an exemption from Yibum or Chalitza, but it's actually forbidden. It is forbidden to marry her even if you wanted to. Let's say even outside the context of Yibum, if you were to if your brother passes away without any children, it would also be forbidden for you to marry that co-wife that you're not related to. One of the co-wives is your daughter, that's certainly forbidden. But even the other co-wife there is an Easter. It is forbidden. And the question is why? Why is it forbidden? What's wrong? What's the reason for this to be forbidden? So there are two approaches that are given. There's really two different approaches. One approach is to say as follows. One approach is to say that when there's an exemption from Yibam, so essentially your sister, she's still your sister-in-law and she remains to be your sister-in-law. She is your sister-in-law even though your brother passed away. But she's still your sister-in-law. There still is a prohibition to marry your sister-in-law. And so once there's an exemption from the mitzvah, there's this clash here between the mitzvah. If the mitzvah exists, so then you do the mitzvah. But once there's an exemption from the mitzvah, so then we just fall back on the fact that she is your sister-in-law. And it's forbidden to marry your sister-in-law. Just like it's forbidden to marry your mother-in-law after your wife passes away or even after you get divorced. There'll still be a prohibition to marry your mother-in-law. So Soto over here, if there's the mitzvah of Yibam, fine, do Yibam. But if there's no mitzvah of Yibam, so then she's your sister-in-law. So then, uh, if she's your sister-in-law, so then you cannot marry her outside the context of Yibam. That's one approach. The second approach to take is that, no, the reason why it's forbidden to marry your this tzara, uh, the, the tzara, the co-wife of your daughter is not because she's your sister-in-law, but the reason why there's a prohibition is for a different factor. And this is something which they refer to as shame tsaras erva. It's that the Torah is telling us, this is derived from the Torah, but the to- and the Torah is telling us that just like it's forbidden for you to marry any close relative that we've discussed so far, there's a prohibition to marry any of them. So, so too, there's a prohibition to marry your your sister-in-law in the context of Yibam when the brother passes away, 
when she's a co-wife to a relative of yours. Any time that there's a, a, a sister-in-law who's a co-wife to a relative of yours, that is in and of itself. Forget about the fact that she's your sister-in-law. Let's say she's not your sister-in-law. Let's say there's no prohibition. Maybe after the brother dies, there's no prohibition to marry your sister-in-law. But there's a separate problem of somebody who is a co-wife of your own relative, a co-wife of your daughter, that person you're not allowed to go ahead and marry. Not because she's your sister-in-law. There might not be a prohibition of being your sister-in-law after your brother passes away. But there's a separate problem of the fact that she's a tsaras erva. She is a co-wife of your own relative. And these are two different approaches that we're going to be referring to a few times as we go along through this mesefta. Again, just a quick review and then we'll see the Gemara. One approach is that uh, the co-wife of your daughter, who's also your sister-in-law, is prohibited because she's she's still your sister-in-law. And then the she's still your sister-in-law. The other approach is that, no, maybe she's not your sister-in-law anymore. Perhaps because the brother passed away without children and that doesn't make her a prohibit. She's not, she's not prohibited to you because as being a sister-in-law. But there's a separate prohibition. The fact that she's a co-wife to your own relative. If she's a co-wife to your relative within this context of Yibam, so then there is just a regular prohibition of being related to you somehow. This is a type of a relationship which is prohibited, where she's the co-wife of your relative within this context of a Yibam structure. Okay, that is an introduction which will help explain some of the lines, the coming lines in the Gemara. The Gemara now asks, My Irid Tani Potros, Lisni Osros, the language of the Mishnah, when it says that if the brother is married to these 15 relatives of yours, uh, it says that it is exempts the uh, the co-wife. The, the whole focus here is on the co-wife. It exempts the co-wife. Why? The Gemara asks, why does it say that it exempts the co-wife? It should say that it forbids the co-wife. It's not just an exemption. The exemption, as Rashi explains, implies that if you want to, you could do Yibam. But we know the given is that you cannot do Yibam. So it should say that it forbids the co-wife. Not just that there's an exemption. So the Gemara answers... This is why it doesn't use, for the following reason, it does not use the language of the fact that it is forbidden. Itani osros, if it used the language that it's forbidden, havamina, I would have thought as follows. If you use the language forbidden, so what's forbidden? What's forbidden here is, what's really forbidden here is yibum, because yibum is to have uh, sexual relations. The sexual relations is what is forbidden because this co-wife is either your sister-in-law or it's just a relative of yours, as we explained in the introduction. Uh, so it's forbidden to have relations, but sexual relations. But it's not forbidden to do chalitza. Chalitza is not chalitza is really the the opposite of it. It's the it's the divorce process within this type of a relationship. And so it's, they cannot use the language that it's forbidden to do chalitza because it's not really forbidden to do chalitza. It's just you're exempt from doing chalitza. So therefore, the, the Mishnah used the language exempt because the wording would not fit within chalitza. It's not, an, it's not the wording of forbidden would not exist, would not make sense within chalitza because it's not forbidden to do chalitza. It's an exemption of chalitza. That's what the Gemara answers. However, the Gemara is going to reject this first suggestion, and then it's going to come on to a second suggestion. So let's read the rejection of this suggestion. The Gemara asks, I understand, why is it why is it wrong to use the word forbidden? Why can't we use the word? So the Gemara answers, because 
uh, you didn't do anything wrong, as we explained before. There's nothing wrong with doing a chalitza. There's nothing. There's a prohibition of of doing yibam, which is uh, sexual relations. But there's nothing wrong with chalitza. So the Gemara asks, "Alam alo, but why still? Why can't you use the language that it's forbidden?" Why can't you do chalitza? There's a concept that if chalitza is allowed, then yibam is allowed. And if you're going to tell me that there's a possibility to do chalitza, if you just use the word that it's, a, if you use the word forbidden, it would make sense because when it's telling us that it's forbidden to do chalitza, it's telling us that it's forbidden to do chalitza and yibam. It makes sense to use the word forbidden, even though it's just chalitza. Because chalitza and yibam, according to the conclusion, they go hand in hand. You can't have a case where you're allowed to do chalitza, but you're not allowed to do yibam. So to say that it's forbidden to do chalitza makes sense, because it's really telling us that it's also forbidden to do yibam. The two go hand in hand. That According to this conclusion of the Gemara, you cannot divide between the two. If you could do chalitza, you could do yibam. If you cannot do chalitza, you cannot do yibam. And so therefore, the language of saying that it would be forbidden, not just exempt, but it would be forbidden, should make sense within Chalitza because it's really telling us that also Yibum is forbidden. And so that's the question on the first suggestion. Again, the first suggestion was to say that no, the language of forbidden doesn't apply by Chalitza. That's why the Mishnah uses the language of exemption. The conclusion of the Gemara is that no, forbidden does make sense within Chalitza because it's also telling us that Yibum is forbidden. So the Gemara then gives a different suggestion. And this is the conclusion. The Gemara answers a fascinating idea. It says, the reason why I use the language of an exemption as opposed to forbidden is, The Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, if you used the language of forbidden, I might have thought to say, what does it mean that it's forbidden? It's forbidden in any context, not just the context of Yibam, but in any scenario where a man is married to two women, and one of the women is forbidden to me. I'm the I'm not the man that's married to them currently, but I'm forbidden to me for whatever reason. Let's give an example. Uh, one example is let's say my daughter marries somebody. So I have a son-in-law, Mazeltov. They got married. He now is married also to somebody else. He has two wives. So if the language of the mission would be that it's forbidden, one might have thought that the reason why it's forbidden is because there's a certain relationship which was created between the co-wives. Similar to what we discussed in the introduction, that there's this relationship, even outside the context of Yibam, between these two co-wives, such that if my daughter is married to somebody, to a man who also has another wife, then I, the father of this daughter, is also forbidden to marry the co-wife. Let's say the let's say my son-in-law gets divorced or, or dies, uh, and so then that co-wife is now allowed to marry somebody else. I, the father of this daughter, I'm forbidden, it entertains the possibility to say that if the language was forbidden, that I'm forbidden to also marry the co-wife. Not just my daughter, but also the co-wife of my daughter. Outside the context of Yibam. This is not within the context of Yibam. That's what one might have thought if you used the language of forbidden. Because the language of forbidden implies that the idea here is that the the relationship of co-wives itself creates a certain connection to say that even outside the context of Yibam, there is there is a prohibition. That's why I use the language of exemption. I use the language of exemption because it's not a certain relationship which is created which would impact outside the context of Yibam. But let's say one approach is that it's an exemption. It's purely an exemption. 
Meaning it's not because of the relationship that there's, it creates a new type of a relationship, but there's an exemption from Yibam. Once there's an exemption from Yibam, the reason why it's prohibited is, as we discussed in the introduction, is because she's still your sister-in-law. She's still your sister-in-law, so there's still a prohibition. So there is a prohibition, but they had to use the language of exemption to tell you that this whole idea of co-wives making it forbidden for you to marry the co-wife is only within the context of Yibam. Okay, the Gemara goes on. The Gemara now asks a new question on the language of the Mishnah. The language of the Mishnah was that there's an exemption, and he used the language, It says, from Chalitza, Chalitza is mentioned first, and then from Yibam. Moving on to 3A3, why does he use the language of from Chalitza and then from Yibam? Why not just mention Yibam? If we had Yibam alone, Yibam is the primary focus. In the Torah itself, if you look in the Torah, it says what's preferable is to do Yibam. The backup is to back out of the situation, is to do Chalitza. So just mention Yibam. Just mention that you're exempt from Yibam. So the Gemara answers a very similar idea that we had earlier. The Gemara says, no, if it just mentioned Yibam, I would have thought, an idea that we had earlier, that maybe I still have, still have an obligation to do Chalitza. If it only mentioned that there's an exemption from Yibam, well, what about Chalitza? Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I, I should do Chalitza. That's why the Mishnah tells us that no, the two go hand in hand. There's an exemption from Yibam and an exemption from Chalitza. Because if you're exempt from Yibam, you're also exempt from Chalitza. And if you are obligated in Yibam, you also have the option of Chalitza. The two go hand in hand. It's not for now, but one has to think about why the Gemara didn't already know this. We already mentioned this idea earlier. Well, that's just really a, a side side point. The Gemara now asks a final question for today within the language of the Mishnah. Okay, I understand why it says Yibam and Chalitza. But the order is flipped. Vilisni mina Yibam mina Chalitza. Inami mina Chalitza luchuda. Why is the order that there's an exemption, the Mishnah says there's an exemption from Chalitza and from Yibam? At least put Yibam first. Yibam is the primary mitzvah. That's what we that's what we prefer in the Torah. So we should say Yibam first and then Chalitza. Or at least just mention Chalitza alone. They say once mention Chalitza alone, because once you know there's an exemption from Chalitza, certainly there's an exemption from Yibam. But once you're having once you're mentioning both, so then say Yibam first and then Chalitza, because Yibam is the primary mitzvah. That's what the Torah prefers. So the Gemara gives an answer, which is going to be a big discussion later on. In about thirty over thirty weeks, the Gemara answers Abba Shaolhi. This is the opinion of Abba Shaol. The author of our Mishnah is the opinion of Abba Shaol, who holds the Amar Mitzvah Chalitza Kodemas Lemitzvah Yibum. He says it's true in the Torah. The Torah's preference is to do Yibum. However, practically, the Torah is not talking about practically. Practically, in order to do Yibum, you have to have the right intentions in mind. You have to do it for the right reasons. You cannot do it uh, because you happen to like her. Uh, or things like that. You're doing it for the mitzvah in order to in order to bring uh, bring children to this to, to for your brother for that marriage that existed with your with your brother. So you have to have the purest of intentions. And we're concerned that a person does not have the purest of intentions. And so, on a practical level, even from the Torah's idealistic perspective, it's better to do yibum over chalitza. On a practical level, we will tell people to do chalitza, preferably over yibum. And that's why the Mishnah, the Mishnah is telling, teaching this to us, according, according to the Gemara. The Mishnah is teaching us that by, by mentioning Chalitza first before Yibam, that we should, we should practically 
do chalitza over yibam. Now, this is a dispute. This idea is a dispute found later on in the Gemara, but at least according to Abishol, which we're saying is really the, the language of the Mishnah, there's a preference practically to do chalitza over yibam because we're concerned that a person does not have the right intentions in mind. And Abishol says that if you don't have the right intentions in mind, it's as if you're not fulfilling the mitzvah, and it's as if you're, if you're not fulfilling the mitzvah, it's as if you're uh, then having sexual relations with your sister-in-law, which is a prohibition. If it wasn't for the mitzvah, if there's no mitzvah, then it would be a prohibition. So Abishal goes so far to say that if you have the wrong intentions in mind, it's as if you're, it's as if you're having relations with not fulfilling the mitzvah of yibam, but having relations, a violation of having relations with your sister-in-law. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. That the the idea of the Mishnah is to teach us this concept of Abishal, the statement of Abishal that we prefer chalitza. Now, just on a very practical halachic idea here, that this was a dispute. We're gonna this is a dispute that we're gonna find later on in the Gemara between Abishaol and the Chachamim, the majority of the rabbis, and the Sephardi uh, authority, the Shulchan Aruch, says to, to follow the other opinion, the opinion of the Chachamim, which is that we prefer Yibam over Chalitza. The Ashkenazim, based on the Ramah, says that no, we should follow this opinion of Abishaol that we should do. Chalitza before Yibam. And so, when this was discussed in Israel with the various chief rabbis, the Ashkenazim, they all certainly held that you should do Chalitza, that in terms of what the court system should do in Israel, they said you should all do Chalitza. The Sephardi chief rabbis of the time also said that we shouldn't have two different Torahs, we shouldn't have two different ways of going about this, so we should also advise, even though their, the Shulchan Aruch, which is the Sephardi Posek, uh, says to do yibam, we should we should fo- we should uh, we should advise people to do yibam. Practically, we don't want to have a difference between the Ashkenazi court system and the Sephardi court system. So they said, let us. We should advise people also to do chalitza. There was a young rabbi at the time during this whole discussion, Rivavadi Yosef, who eventually became the chief rabbi of Israel, who said that no, we have to stick to our tradition, and he said that uh, we we have to stick to our tradition, and we should. We should advise people to do yibum, and he went against all the other uh, leading Sephardi rabbis of that time, and so that was his position. Position he was well known for that position, and this really represents who Ravad Yosef was. He was somebody who wanted to return to bring back the Sephardi tradition um, to uh, to its people, to the Sephardi people. So that's uh, just a little bit of the halachic relevance of this discussion. We will continue on in the next recording.